If you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd We are live. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fanboy Planet podcast. Uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. And of course, uh, to my, I guess it's to my right as I look at it, or to my left. left. Yeah, to my left. Rick Brett Snyder. There we go. See, I'm, I'm mirrored. Rick, uh, welcome. You know, so to the left of Derek. I, you know what it is, is that the old ones have been slumbering and they've confused me greatly from, from beyond which is absolutely on brand for uh, tonight's topic. Uh, but before we do, I want to mention that some of the things that we might talk about on this podcast, uh, if you're going to find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, we are, of course, an Amazon affiliate, and therefore you might be able to find it through links on the site. Any purchase made through a link on the site on fanboyplanet.com can possibly generate a small amount of revenue, although we're actually here to talk about a Kickstarter campaign. And you may, if you're watching this and, and anyone who is watching please, live, please feel free to comment throughout and we'll open up to questions. Uh, this is about the Kickstarter for, it's hard to pronounce, but strangely easy to spell. Cthulhu is hard to spell. Uh, so I've been running that banner across CthulhuIsHardToSpell.com. If you are watching this after the fact or listening and uh, afterwards, you can, of course, join the conversation by uh, please subscribe on, on YouTube or Facebook. Both are Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet. You can also follow us on Instagram at Fanboy Planet. And if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Ah, so here we go, because I spent some of this afternoon actually reading volume one of this anthology trilogy, uh, though I think, I, you know, I've, I've got to ask uh, the the editor if this is going to become one of those things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the trilogy has five books, uh, because, you know, it just seems logical for, for a fodder like this with Cthulhu. Am I saying it right? Anyway, I, I want to uh, <laughs> welcome in. No one really dares correct anybody on that pronunciation, because what if we are all saying it wrong and saying it right will wake them. But first of all, let me uh, invite in Russell Nolte, uh, who is the editor, uh, also self-contributor, I guess, because you've written some stories in this anthology and many comics. And uh, welcome back, because I think we, we've talked, as I was trying to say, Christian Gossett, Christian Gossett Vila is now the writing name. Uh, and, uh, I think we met way back when, I think it was 2002 or 2003 at Comic-Con. And then, um, and, and then we met at Cinequest 2017 or 2018. I can't remember which year. Yeah. And you had just done Battle of Axanar. And we talked a bit about that then. I know. And so I'm just going <laughs> to acknowledge it and move past. <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, you were there as an associate producer with one of my, still, I'd say one of my favorite movies in the last 10 years. And I think people really should revisit it, which was Quality Problems. Uh, because you. I think right now we absolutely need the, uh, you know, the sentiment of that film. Uh, not cloying, just a, 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 a beautiful family comedy drama, wonderful, wonderful film about decent people just trying to be decent. And uh, I like those. The older I get, the more that appeals to me. Uh, so I, I do want to focus for just a second because you, you said I could open this door is you have added, which I believe you said is your mother's maiden name. So your Christian Gossett Vila. Yeah, that's right. Um, my mother was very young when she had my brother and I, and she gave up her painting career at Cooper. She was at Cooper Union in New York, really prestigious art school and fell in love with my dad uh, and, uh, you know, had my brother and I and my mother it, we just celebrated her 75th birthday. She's a wonderful person. And she was the one who bought me my first drafting table. She was the one who got me how to draw comics the Marvel way that same year and a steady stream of Bristol board and ink and pencil. And, you know, I, I wanted to acknowledge that in, I wanted her to have the, uh, the thrill of seeing her name. Um, I am currently on a Marvel show at Disney and I can't say what it is, but it's really exciting. And they also, the name will be changed there as well. So I'm really excited about mom giving her some credit for all the good that she's done me. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. And congratulations on being on the, uh, and yeah, don't speak. I understand. I live in a neighborhood yeah. with some Marvel act with a Marvel actor and there's yeah. a red dot. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's all, you know, it's always trained on our, on our streets. So we got to be very, very careful. Very careful. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Russell, I want to focus for a moment to you because uh, this is uh fool who is hard to spell volume three, the Kickstarter campaign went live today. We're recording this the evening of, Two, 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 two. I don't know how many twos are involved, but it's clearly some kind of eldritch curse is going to be, you know, is coming for him and it's perfect. Uh, so, you know, I, I do want to know, you know, what was the foundation of creating this, uh, this anthology trilogy? Sure. Uh, before I get into that, I just want to let you know, Lovecraft never settled on a name and a pronunciation or a spelling of the Cthulhu, of Cthulhu. Oh. so like you can pretty much say whatever you want to and spell it however you want to that's one of the jokes of the book in the first volume the cover is a as a as a as a um a chalkboard and oh, uh, I, I and put it back teacher, on myself so I can't yeah, hold yeah. it up yeah. <laughs> on the, and the teacher is getting um I think I have one here oh I love that visual aids <laughs> The teacher is getting eaten by uh, by Cthulhu, but you can see it's spelled a whole bunch of ways. And one of the jokes was, it's actually really easy to spell Cthulhu. You can do it any way you want. And anyone who tells you otherwise, you can just tell them that I'm an expert in Lovecraft and I'm telling you, you can say it however you want to. And it's pronounced Tim. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> you pronounce however you however you want it. It's it's really interesting to go back and read some of his uh, letters where he spells it differently sometimes throughout the letter, but usually similarly in the letter and then like differently in every other letter. Um, so I started. I did a book called Monsters and Other Scary. Try not to curse, but I can't not curse because the curse cursing in the title. It's called Monsters okay. and Other Scary Shit, and. Uh, it was a monster anthology about monsters and I learned just a ton of, uh, of, of, of uh, about editing and, and putting a book together on that, on that book. Because one of the things when you're a creator and you have an artist on a book, like I do with Ichabod is it's a lot of project management, but it's not a lot. It's, it's, 
it's project managing one person. This was project managing, I think, 50 or so people. And when we put that book out, um, it got a lot of love, but people had a lot of a lot of things that they told me that they didn't like about it or that they would have loved to see different about it. Uh, one of them being it was color. Number two is it was very violent. Uh, so they couldn't share it with their children. There were a couple other things that um, uh, that they that they consistently mentioned after the book was out. So I said it was and it was the book that broke me as a as a open as a career. Like I have a career because of that book. So I said, well, I got to do another book. And so I asked the fans what what their favorite fandom was. And they said Lovecraft. They said Lovecraft and Invader Zim. But like you can't make an Invader Zim book because it's not a public domain. But you can make a Lovecraft book. Um, so that sort sort of started there as a way to correct some of the mistakes that I made because I was very inexperienced as an editor then. And then also uh, just a, a, a celebration of our fans, the wannabe press fans who like literally like fund our ability to make all of this weird stuff that we do. And, and then I'm going to go back to my question uh, that I, I alluded to earlier is this going to stop as a trilogy or, and, and was that your plan all along to be a trilogy? So I had a three, I, I did plan for a trilogy. I planned for uh, the first volume was the, the Lovecraftian gods planning to invade. Then in the second book, they invade and basically take over the universe. And the third book was the mythological gods and, um, and humanity pushing back to try and take back the universe. And that had always sort of been my vision across the three, but I never thought that we would get to three. I never thought we would get to two. Like I, I, I try and plan so each thing can be a self-contained story, um, but that can continue on. Um, I do plan on leaving after this book. Um, I can't talk about what I'm doing behind the scenes to, 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 to see if it's possible for the book to continue. But of course, I just talked, joked with my wife this morning. It's like, if this book hits a hundred thousand dollars, like I can't not do another one. I just, I physically would not be able to do that. Uh, there's just, there'd be too much, like the brand would be too strong at that point. So, but assuming that the book does roughly what it has done previously in the past, which is somewhere between like 30 and $50,000, I do plan for this to be my last book. Just like, um, this is a year of ending. So I have, uh, I'm ending the Godsverse Chronicles in June. I'm ending Ichabod in um September and I'm, and I'm ending this book in uh, right now, theoretically, assuming that we don't go gangbusters, which it kind of is right now. Absolutely. And, and should be. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see if there's, if there's a fourth, I, w- I want to turn back to Christian um, and, and, and Russell and I were talking about this before we went live, uh, you know, that, that you made this huge splash uh, in the early 21st century with the Red Star, beautiful book, uh, kind of hard to find uh, these days, you know, but uh, gorgeous, um, both politically, I, I suppose, charged and kind of proven accurate, even though it's about sorcery, um, you know, involved. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and, it, and, and we're talking about it on a politically charged day as well. But you disappeared from comics after that. And I know you've been working very successfully in animation, uh, production design, doing a lot, you know, producing film, writing, doing all, all kinds of, many, of different things. What, uh, and then suddenly in volume two of Cthulhu Who Is Hard to Spell, you've returned. So what brought you back? Uh, it has been such a blast, this whole uh, meeting Russell 
and being a part of his anthology for the last two volumes. Actually, I did a three-pager. I didn't write it, but I did draw it. Uh, Marcus Perry wrote it uh, and said, hey, man, you want to do this? I know you haven't done comics in a while. Do you want to do this thing? And he told me the story, and I thought, absolutely. I, Being a Dungeons & Dragons player since 1984, uh, loving that game, I discovered, of course, my first gaming group, like so many of us, that's who teaches you about Cthulhu and Lovecraft. Uh, that's who introduced me anyway. And you know, the Necronomicon, and it's you know this fascinating, uh, wonderful mythos. And so I've always wanted to do something in the mythos, but I, I hadn't. And so here was a great opportunity to just dip my toe in and I met, I kind of experienced Russell along the way. And I, I got to tell you, working with Russell Nolte makes you a better freelancer. It really does. Like Russell does not, he has a no-nonsense policy about things. And he's incredibly fair and incredibly firm. And uh, it was just like, wow, I really like this guy. And so when, when that book came out, I thought, I really want to do the next year. I, I know Chris Simon, the editor of the book. And uh, I said, hey, are, are you guys doing another one? She's like, yeah. She explained to me what's happening, this being the last book in the trilogy. And I said, oh, well, I definitely want to do it then. And so I came back and I had, uh, as far as the interregnum period in between, yeah, you know, I was, I, I'm raised, born in New York, but raised in Hollywood, California. So my father was an actor and, uh, a, you know, a real blue collar type actor, played a lot of character types, was very New York, my father. And so he played lots of firemen and cops and cab drivers. And fortunately, in the 70s and 80s, you, they needed a lot of those types. Um, and so he worked like crazy. I've been on sets since I was seven years old. Uh, and so I, I've been in this town for so long that I couldn't help but kind of be lured to from comics to uh, television and video games and movies. The Red Star was such a great calling card. And thank you for bringing it up. Um, it, it immediately went out to the town. We had options, we had video game deals, we had television deals, and I was lured into those kinds of productions. And, you know, I didn't really have a comic book story that I wanted to tell. I, I would have done and still will do Red Star if it could get financed, but recapitalization of, of that story is pretty major given the fact that it's basically a video game storyboard that we, we you know, reproduce as still. It's very expensive to make. Um, the industry tried to kind of emulate Red Star and never really could do it as far as using 3D models and that whole process. Some artists on their own have been very successful using later generation software like SketchUp and so forth. And now, of course, it's, you know, it, there are many, many wonderful kinds of 3D you can do. But, uh, but I'm really excited now about, you know, Cthulhu Town because it's about writing what I know. Uh, I know Hollywood and I know uh, Lovecraft. Uh, and so it's just, peanut butter and chocolate. I'm having a great time. Excellent. Uh, and Russell, what were the parameters when you, when you sought out contributors? Uh, Christian uh, just referred to the, you know, the, basically the Russell Nolte experience. You have to experience Russell as an editor, but, and also please use that as your band name. But, uh, but what, you know, what is it that when you were going out and, and putting this out there that were was drawing creators in? Sure. I have to say, Christian's story, Christian Marcus's story for the last volume was like the most terrifying of all of the stories for me because it was so bright and like colorful and also just so terrifying. I mean, we had to walk a very fine line because it's an all ages appropriate book. So um, I'm very, I'm, I'm super excited for that. And I love Cthulhu Town. Cthulhu Town, I think, is the second story right after the one that me and that Eric and I did. So like, we think very highly of the of, of Christian and and uh, Cthulhu Town specifically, but I think I came to editing as a creator, not as an editor. So I thought about 
what I needed as an editor, as, as a creator to get my best work. And I think that the way that the most important thing that an editor has to do is create a safe space to create, which a lot of people would think means like, let them do their best work and, and, and kind of uh, foster that. But it is a lot more than that. It's, it goes into everything from that part that I talked about to making sure you're there to defend and accentuate the artists when they, when, when you're ready to promote. Um, we've, we've gone through both of those sides and to, to, to make sure that you're defend your, you, you, you have a promotional plan and that, and finally the book actually comes out and looks beautiful. And I think that most editors fail at one part of that. A lot of them are very good at doing the, the making the book that the, the story as, as good as it can be, but very few then uh, are able to follow up with having the book come out in like a nice, beautiful hardcover. I mean, when I first started doing this, I did not realize how terribly most books are printed because I would give, I would deliver files that were like gorgeous to, 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 to creators. Then I would get these like, stapled books back or like very small books that did not extend thin paper that did not accentuate the story. And so I think you really have to, when you're putting a, when you're putting a anthology together, that whole part is, is part of being an editor and, 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 and making sure that the creators are fostered throughout that process. But the other part of that, I, I, I strongly believe is that you have to be hard on deadlines because especially when you're doing a book that is, let's face it, anthologies do not pay well. You have to be the person that says, here is your deadline. And here is what I expect from you at this stage, this stage, this stage, this stage, and this stage to get this over the finish line and then follow through on it. So many editors are scared of upsetting artists by telling them that pages are due, that they, that's that, that artists end up being very confused. I, I find I, and a lot of anthologies and I've talked to a lot of people. This may not be across the board, but a lot of editor, a lot of creators are very confused about what they need to do, not just for the book to be done, but for the book to be like exploited in the best possible way to have the most fans like it and to get their work delivered in the way that they want it to. And to me, I, I was very cautious. I was, I was very careful at every stage of that process to say it is now pencils time. This is when we're doing pencils and then, and, and giving them some flexibility. So like, they don't have to give pencils to me at the deadline. They, but they will forfeit their kill fee if they don't, which the kill fee is like, if I don't like the book at the end, at the story at the end, uh, you, uh, you get paid anyway. But if you don't give me the pages, you're not going to get paid at the end because I don't have the control of that story. I've not seen it. You've just delivered a final page and I have no, like I, I've not been part of that process. Um, so there's a lot of sort of making deadlines, having some latitude, and then also understanding that sometimes stuff happens and you're going to have to extend a deadline to some people uh, and hoping that they deliver something that is amazing at the end of it. But I mean, I think it really comes down to like, so you have to vacillate between uh, kind of didactic and dictatorial and very understanding and know the exact moment where either thing is needed. And it's a, it's as much an art as a science to do that. Yeah. Um, Christian, I, uh, you already said what inspired it. I mean, it's Hollywood and two things, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, which I, I would not have 
compared when I, I read it. And I did. Thank you, Russell, for sending that. Because I think I discovered this was happening because you posted like a panel from Cthulhu Town or said something about, you know, forget it, Jake, it's, it's Cthulhu Town. And so I was intrigued because it was you. Like, what are you doing coming back to comics? That's awesome. Um, I read it and it feels like it's very much the middle of an adventure. You've got your cast of characters. It's very pulpy. Um, and, you know, is this something that you hope will spin out further? Definitely. In fact, uh, in support of the Kickstarter, I've written another short story, five pages, that sets up the, the story in the book. So I'm hoping that through people reading the setup story, um, they will want to read the conclusion and then they can, you know, order the, uh, order the, uh, the anthology. Um, so that's something that I'm just trying. It's a total test. I, I again, I, I really support Russell's work and I've had such a great time on these two volumes that I wanted to, I asked myself, what could I do that would really help? And having been a part of lots of successful Kickstarters, uh, I've always found that, you know, that it was that hard middle, right? It's that hard middle where you need stuff to continue coming out. I know Russell's already done all kinds of wonderful groundwork and, and I, I don't pretend to, to know anything that, that he knows as far as sustainable kickstarting, but I, I have been a part of some successful ones on my own. You mentioned Axonar. We made lots of money on that one. Uh, my films, of course, have all been funded through crowdfunding. So I'm a bit of a veteran of the wars. And I thought this would be a fun chance for me to do an experiment, which is how about a little setup story um, that will be released during the campaign that uh, will get, you know, that will hopefully send people into the, into the, the book itself. And then afterward that as well, I, I love these stories. And once I realized I was in uh, and I was doing this, it was years ago that I discovered Cthulhu town. It was years ago that I thought to myself, Oh, it'd be really fun to do a noir story. I, I know I'll put, I'll put the mythos in old Hollywood. I love the golden age of Hollywood. I know tons about it. Thanks to my life out here and just my own love of history. And that's where I'll bring the mythos. I'll stick it in there and see how it goes. And, uh, and it was a, a, just a storyboard I did for fun, and, and it just sat there. I, I would use it at storyboard lectures. I've been teaching for 10 years. That's another thing I've been doing is teaching at Eric, uh, Eric Hulsman Studio Arts downtown, a wonderful establishment uh, for creative professionals who want to break into other departments or, or you know, learn some more stuff, stay current on software, things like that. I taught there for a long time and used those panels uh, as part of the lesson plan. And uh, now that I'm in it, now that I've done it, uh, I am completely hooked. <clears throat> I'm completely hooked, and I'll be doing it uh, just for fun for as long as I can. Has it? You know, both of you have been been in this game for a while, and 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 Russell, you not just about Kickstarter, but you know, you you mentioned that a lot of creators don't understand all the work to get it out there. And and I'm thinking back, you know, when Red Star hit was ninety nine two thousand. Yeah. You know, I, I just remember reading. I, all time has gone hazy on me but you know it was a it was a while back and uh you know how has the game changed and, and it's interesting about the the promotion that people don't realize they have to do to get out there that's so true you have said a mouthful and and in the in the period between red star and now i have learned a great deal and have been actively doing so uh, and it's it's manifested itself in many ways. Uh, promotion, like I said. Also, you know, I learned a lot about Red Star, what it was, what it wasn't, what money I left on the table, um, how I failed my audience. You know, there's a funny thing. Cthulhu Town is told in a nine-panel grid. 
big fan of Watchmen, like I'm sure many, many of the majority of us, let's face it. And not that, not that Gibbons invented the nine panel grid in Watchmen. Of course, it goes back to the Silver Age, maybe even the Golden Age, but I'd never used it. And it, I had so much fun telling this period piece in this old fashioned grid. You know, the Red Star was, it was, every page was a different layout. I, and that yeah. was part of the kind of rebellious defiance for me. Having been a freelancer, I really was, for the first time, writing my own stuff. And I wanted to make the page layouts anything I wanted. And that was good, and it was bad. And there were times when, you know, you're going for that. You can only be as successful as you're willing to fail, right? And I assure you, I failed a few times in those layouts. But on Cthulhu Town, I said, I'm going to a nine-panel grid. I'm going to be strict about it. I'm, I'm going to pour over Watchmen. I'm going to rip pages out. I'm going to redline my this poor copy of Watchmen that I have. That I just completely turned it into a textbook. And I really enjoyed it. And that'll stay consistent throughout uh, all the print runs of, uh, of Cthulhu Town, however many there end up being. And yeah, promotion-wise, that's another thing that's been fun, wonderful about meeting Russell is, uh, you know, kind of just becoming a student of the way he does it and uh, admiring the way he can run a sustainable publishing business uh, based on, you know, being this dependable, reliable publisher that can uh, that's going to deliver value. Well, and like what I, what, I graduated high school in 2001, uh, and college in 2004. So like I was somewhat working before social media and not like a lot of my friends were, but like enough that I understand that like the way that the, the things that you have access to now, like I'm sure Christian starting his career would have killed for access to the kinds of equipment and the kinds of promotional material that like we have access to now that we take that that we take for granted don't utilize or utilize very poorly yeah so true so but like it really comes down to the same principle that i'm sure christian used and that stan lee used and that that marv wolfman used and that uh that uh um everyone has used in comics is that like you have to it all comes back to your audience. It all goes back to two things. It comes back to the work. And uh, Christian's talked about this a little bit. Um, is like is what I've learned in the past 10 years of doing this is all you have is the work at the end of the day. Like your work might sell 10 copies. It might sell 100 copies. It might sell a million copies. And like I've, I know enough publishers to know that is often luck based. Like all you can do is put out the right work that your gut feels about and hope one out of every hundred times you have a hit. Um, you think about like March or um, or uh, George Takei's book. It's like those are like the two million booksellers that Top Shelf, I believe, has ever put out. And they've been around for 20 years. So, and they didn't have that kind of success. My, my friend had his first book that hit 100,000 20 years after he published of, of putting out very, very good books. So you really, the first thing you have to understand is, uh, uh, for marketing, it's like it all comes back to the work, and every piece of work has a shelf, has, has a ceiling, and a floor, which means it can sell maximum this amount of books, and it will probably not sell less than these amount of books. And part of that is uh, is your audience size, but a large part of it is the topic that you choose to take. And literally every decision you make, every decision that Christian made with the Red Star was a thing that either increased the amount of people that could potentially buy it, including studios and game developers and everything, or it decreased the amount of people that would buy it. And it also 
changed and pivoted the kinds of people that would buy their book. You think of something like Iron Spike has a very different audience than like Coffin Comics. And but in, what you find is that you make decisions that make you move you towards Iron Spike or or Coffin Comics and uh, and that changes who's going to buy your book. And you have to know Yes, these are the people that buy these kind of books, and these are the people that buy these kind of books. And I want which one do I want access to? So, and there's not a wrong answer in this. I'm not saying one is better than the other. All I'm yeah. saying is, if you want to run a campaign like like Brian Polito does, it is a very, very, very different campaign than Spike Trotman runs. And the kinds of people who buy it are going to be very different. And so, the more I do this, the more I come back to these theories of book design that I was taught years ago and that sometimes I buck the trend of like with monsters and other scary shit. But like there's a reason Cthulhu is the first word in Cthulhu is hard to spell. And it's not Lovecraft or Azathoth or Dagon. It's because Cthulhu is the brand. There's a reason why I hired Aaron Alexevich, who is the cover is one of the character designers for Invader Zim for the cover because the Invader Zim audience to go to you see behind my 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 B very yeah. much Invader Zim influence so like there's a reason I made all of the strategic decisions in book design but then you have to take that and get the audience which is the second part of it and then then once you have the product and the audience it becomes this kind of virtuous cycle that 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 increases over time as long as you stay in your sort of uh, uh, lane, I have novels that do not do nearly as well as the as the books because it's a whole different medium. It's fantasy. It's a whole different thing. But as long as I stay in the like Lovecrafty cartoony thing with Ichabod and with um, and with Cthulhu, I I can kind of predict how much money I will make as long as I put out a good product. All right, and and I and I want to commend you with the courage uh, to pronounce all those gods' names so so proudly and confidently. Uh, so I, I want to end uh, with uh, something a little a little lighter, which would be: What is your favorite uh, film adaptation of of Lovecraft? <laughs> well, wow. go ahead, Russell. Oh, I was going to say straight adaptation or like Lovecraft inspired, because well, we'll like, take it either way, yeah. Like I think Jacob's Ladder is my favorite. Uh, no, 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 no. In the Mouth of Madness, in the Mouth of Madness, Sam Neill movie is my favorite Lovecraft adaptation because I think that's like a pretty true Lovecraft adaptation. Uh, uh, Jacob's Ladder is like not quite, but it has Lovecraftian elements. So I never even thought of that one as Lovecraftian until you said it, and then like, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. But in the Mouth of Madness, great one. How about you, Christian? Uh, for me, it is another that is inspired by, not necessarily really, you know, hardcore Lovecraft, but it's the original Ghostbusters. Um, absolutely, Evo Shandor, a cult, uh, feels like humanity is too sick to survive, wants to summon an alien entity to destroy all of humankind. Um, and, you know, it's a comic comedic take on it. Uh, it's a send up of the mythos, but. I mean, absolutely for me, you know, Ray runs an occult bookstore. For me, Ghostbusters is a fantastic send up of, of Cthulhu. Yeah. And that's the, that's what we wanted to do with Cthulhu was hard to spell the, 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 is show all of the ways that it's been mixed and remixed and all of the voices that are available to Lovecraft, like Lovecraft, um, 
has some people have very strong opinions on Lovecraft, but uh, 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 positive and negative. But what Lovecraft did was basically introduce a mythos that is not bound to religion. And by doing that, shown an entirely different way that gods can interact with humanity. And that singular focus has 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 moved everywhere from from James Cameron in the Abyss to Stephen King books and everything in between Ghostbusters. That sort of relationship with gods is something that has had not caught on in a way. There are other people that did the Lovecraft stuff, like Lovecraft's thing, but the how he was so dogged and other people using his 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 um his work and adapting it and being open to people doing that even through his life carried over to people doing that one after he died and taking it and becoming stewards of it. And we're mixing it in this way and that way and another way. And what I love about this volume is you're going to see some, some Lovecraftian stuff. Christian does, does that. There's a lot, there's a lot of stories that mm-hmm. are like have a Lovecraftian piece of it, but there's all just, just as many stories that like, one of my favorites is Kelsey Jo Silva, who's never done a horror thing that I know of, but she does these like really, a, 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 I don't want to say adorable, but like all like slice of life type stuff was her thing. She sort of started doing like uh, sexy vampires and such after that. But like what she was doing at the time that I met her was um, like these slice of life comics. And she made this, this story of uh, in the second volume, which is uh, uh, Yig and Medusa. His Medusa is her, is Yig's kid in this story. Summon a, uh, a demon, uh, a Cherberus demon dog, and it like kind of uh, does puppy stuff and she dislikes it. And like they, they go to summon it. And like, it's this very cute story. And like Angela Odling and Mary Bellamy. And there's all these creators who do these. Um, my, my, I think my stories generally are uh, on like the lighter side of Lovecraft. Um, and you have all of this range. And I really wanted to make, I mean, this sort of like comics for everyone has like, is, is been uh, has, has 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 a brand now, but it really was supposed to be like Lovecraft for everyone to show as many voices as possible, like what they what the Lovecraft mythos meant to the whole like the whole world. And by focusing on the gods and monsters and not the the horror the horror element itself, we were able to have everything from Christian's story to Kelsey's story and Angela Odling's story and a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah, it's been. I'm sorry. Uh, it's been. You know, I'll tell you. I have to give Derek. Uh, I have to give Russell credit because when I first turned in my story from Volume Two, I had. I'm still the Red Star guy. I did all this crazy stuff with the floating panels uh, and all this, you know, motion uh, at the at the borders. And I turned it into Chris, and she said, um, "Listen, <laughs> there is a there is a look to this book. There is a feel to this book. It's all ages, and it is um, it is also no one no bleed." no bleed. You stay in the page. And I was like, that's diabolical. (laughs) I redid the whole thing. And I'll tell you though, when I having seen, and then when I got the book and I read through it, I was like, you know, for the next one, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to actually lean into this, this uh, creative limitation. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that too. So thanks again, Russell. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And honestly, I think that the most create more creative, the most creativity comes from structure. Like that is one of the things that I think drives all of the anthologies was creating structure, two, four, six or eight pages. Like here is the tone. Here has to be no bleed. It has to have no blood, no sex. 
no violence you would not see on Saturday morning cartoons. And like, those are the limitations. And in that means that everyone is playing with the same 80%. But what people, what Christian and all the other creators do with that other 15 to 25% that they have that, 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 that is, is they are such a bevy of wonderful stories. And like, I, I think of all of these stories from like Angela Odling, who does these very cute kind of like, but very um, profound stories. And then you have um, Nick Kremenek, who does this very dark, haunted, like monsters, uh, 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 crime story. And you have, you can have both of them live in the same book because you have those limitations of that. It's all going to be no, it's all going to have no bleed. They're all going to not have sex. They're all, they're, they're all, that is the unifying thing is thematically it looks like it is one book, even though it is really 40 books. And yeah, and it's the best of what an anthology should be, at least volume one, having read through. I only read a couple stories out of volume three because I, I want to hold it in my hands, you know, and, and I'm one of those. But, uh, you know, it is such a wide variety of tone and, and style. And I think we'll really, uh, you know, expose people to a lot of different creators they might not have otherwise taken a look at. And, and I love a book that does that. And I thank you both for coming on. I know this is really short notice when I realized last night, hey, this Kickstarter happens and, and, and I know a couple of people. Hey, can we do this? Uh, my dad's got a barn. Uh, you know, let's put on a show. And exactly. uh, so thanks for joining this. And uh, once again, to everyone uh, who's, who's watching uh, during or afterwards, uh, you know, if you, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, I, we know there are a lot of voices out there talking about comics and talking about movies. And, and I, I didn't even ask, you know, who's the best actor interpreter. I'm going to throw this out to the audience. Uh, best Lovecraft interpreter. Is it Jeffrey Combs or Nicholas Cage? Who was the ultimate uh, Lovecraft actor? But, uh, you know, thank everybody for spending the time. And, and Russell and Christian, again, thank you. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Bretsnyder. Thank you. And, Remind, am I reminding them anything? You told me we were going to do yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll add it in, but, you know, here it is. For those who know it, uh, <laughs> just, there it is. We're going to run it across the bottom. And in the meantime, the everyone have a good evening. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Rick. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.